Are you ready for the weekend yet? We have events, news, and a guest for you to enjoy this Lake Life weekend. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lake Life Weekend Podcast. My name is Dirk, I'm your host, and it is May. Hello, May. It is beautiful. And you know what? Um, in Germany, we have the first of May dance, dance into May. I don't even know why. I have to actually check what holiday is on May 1st. Maybe Labor Day. I really um, should have researched that before the recording started. But I know that we are dancing into May. And I feel like dancing into May today while I record this. And now we are full into May when you hear this. Um, and that is good because this weekend I'm going to roll in my dock and my lift and the open water lake season finally has begun and I'm excited. I hope you're as excited. There's lots to explore in Lakes Country. Um, many events happening. Please check out our daily event schedule at Lake Life Weekend Pod. No, I'm sorry. Full of mistakes here. Lake Life Weekend. I'm so excited uh, because of this interview that I had with uh, Chris Rangi and uh, his uh, yeah, intern assistant uh, Kip from Australia. Um, actually, a really interesting story. I I had a 1973 Mercedes 280SE uh, that I owned and really never moved. And I put that up for sale. And then I got contacted by Chris uh, probably two months ago already. And he purchased it for a friend with a friend. And I uh, spoke to him a little bit and uh, learned that he's from Alexandria and uh, heard his story. And then I learned that he's building cars. He's a car guy. And um, it was a just an amazing story. I, I He shared some links with me and uh, showed me what he did. And I was like, wow, you're like a real made in Minnesota story. So I was very excited to get him to visit me in Perm, uh, not just to pick up the car, to check out the car. And then we were recording this, this episode about a true Minnesota story. Very, very like um, fulfill your dream, like do whatever you like a true American story, actually. So, I, okay, I will shut up and you will be amazed uh, to hear from him. And once you finish, you will probably research his uh, cars and commissioned builds. It's just amazing. So back to our URL. If you want to check out what's going on in Lakes Country this weekend, check out lakelifeweekend.com. Stay up to date. I appreciate for tuning in again and listening to our program. Um, don't keep this much longer to hear Chris about... Rangi Cars from Alexandria. Have a great weekend ahead. Hello and welcome to our interview part. I'm here with Christopher Rangi. Hi, hi Chris. Hello. And Kip McIntyre. Yeah, hi. How are you? From Australia. Yeah. And we will hear. And uh, Chris is actually from Alexandria and um, he is building um, unique cars in his shop uh, by the lake. Before we talk uh, about or hear the story about building cars and uh, how Kip got to visit uh, Chris in Minnesota, um, maybe you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit uh, about lake, where you grew up and what you have done before and how you um, ended up building cars. Yeah. Um, well, I was uh, basically raised in the Alexandria area. So I grew up around the, the chain of lakes there and uh, on the water, you know, as a little kid, whenever I could be. Um, and my interest in cars was, was um, there since birth, really, you know, anything with wheels, planes, uh, uh, wings, you know, things like that. You and sound like a true German. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just fascinating to me. Um, and so, you know, as a kid, I would take apart bikes and lawnmowers and anything I could and, and at first not get them put back together, but <laughs> I eventually figured out how to, you know, kind of get things put back together and, and modify them and so forth. Um, when I was old enough to, actually before I was old enough to drive, I got my first truck, a 1951 GMC pickup. Really? My dad and I bought together. Yep. And uh, I learned how to drive that around our farm because uh, we lived just outside Alexandria on a little hobby farm. Um, from there, when I was old enough to drive, at 16, I got into air-cooled cars. So that's Volkswagens and Porsches. And I would uh, 
buy a, an old VW Bug or Carmen Ghia. I had a Bug. Did you? My first car was yeah, a they're Volkswagen great, Bug. Great cars. They're, I call it the gateway car because it's the classic gateway you know, car that kind of gets you into a lot of other cars, I think. You could take off the fenders or like the, yeah. Yeah. I, I had an excellent ones and yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, they're very, very good for an entry level kind of collector car, I think. Um, so I got into those and I would, I would try to just fix things up a little bit, um, get it to where I wanted it and then sell it to fund the next one. So I'd have a rotating collection as okay. I as I went through my teenage years. Um, I also uh, started snowboarding in the winter uh, competitively at 13 years old. Uh, so that was 1993. And- uh, In Alexandria. Yeah, at Andes Tower Hills, just yeah. outside of Alexandria. And um, we were very fortunate that the USA Snowboarding Association started doing competitions there, which allowed us to compete um, at a regional level and then work our way up to a national level and from there we could go international and compete in the junior world championships and you competed internationally yes i did yeah oh. so as uh, i made the junior national u.s snowboard team in 1995 uh competed in japan in the junior world championships and then in 1996 i started entering professional competition um in the open competitions like the u.s open where amateurs can compete with professionals and it's pretty much a, a wide open ground for anybody to to you know display their skills to the world really um, and then I became paid professional at 18 years old when I started to win more competitions and I got involved in uh, designing uh, research and development and um, things like that. You sort of designing snowboard boots, binding straps, um, all sorts of different stuff. Did they give you an education? How, how does one, is that all like, you know, how do you learn There's that? no formal education really. Snowboarding was so young, I think, in the early 90s and when I was in it that um, there was always something new to be discovered, it seemed like, and there still is, uh, but I think it's slowed down a little bit now than it was back then. Um, we were learning a lot about making adjustments to bindings that would uh, translate into better performance of the snowboard or the side cut on the snowboard, different types of bases we were using, hmm. you know, that allowed you to go faster. And so there was a lot, a lot happening in the um, development of the sport in not just the sport, but in the products as well, you know. How cool is that? So you uh, you were working <coughs> with some engineers uh, uh, and yeah, it's like testing automobiles in a way, right? I mean, you're yeah. testing equipment, so you were creating, mm -hmm. and you were testing materials, and yeah. then you then yeah, exactly. And then um, marketing and branding. I mean, now that I look back as a, an adult, you realize how what an education that you know as as a teenager you've got absolutely and, and world traveling experience, and uh, that all plays into what I do now with with building the custom vehicles. Yeah. yeah. So you finished your career uh, just because you wanted a change? You did not get injured or? or no, like I, I did get injured uh, a couple years prior to um, to deciding that it would be done, but that's not what ended my career. My final contract was ready to be renewed and I saw an opportunity in a completely different field uh, aside from the car building. Um, and so I decided to pursue another business, okay. um, which was in the petroleum industry. And uh, so at that point I thought, I was 26 years old, I had two babies, a son and a daughter that were both, you know, under two years old and, uh, or three years old at that time. And so I pursued a different career where I developed a um, process, I guess you would say, in the petroleum industry for cleaning underground and above ground fuel tanks. And okay. implemented that business <laughs> in the southeastern U.S. when ethanol was coming into the eastern seaboard. Um, started that. How business did you come up with that idea? Um, well, there was a system that was um, being developed uh, in Minnesota that my dad and I were looking at purchasing, um, and we ended up buying this system, uh, and that 
didn't turn out the way we thought it would. It failed. Um, it was tested here in the lakes area mm -hmm. where um, the tank uh, conditions are very different than in the southeastern U.S. Uh, there's a lot more contamination, a lot more sludge, debris, things like that. So we ended up um, basically s scrapping that entire system. And uh, I designed a new system knowing what I had learned in the first 14 months of starting the business through failures, um, sleeping in the back of our truck, you know, <laughs> down to nothing, and um, redesigned the system, built our own, and made it work, and work very, very well. Uh, it was safer, more efficient, uh, gave our customers the most for their money, and ended up having five crews going for the better part of two years straight, just about full time. When ethanol came in to the eastern seaboard, the tanks had to be prepared for this ethanol. And so this system did exactly that. And it let our customers know that they were safe to put ethanol in the tanks and we could uh, determine any, for the most part, leaks, um, compromises in the tanks, things that needed to be upgraded. And it gave them the assurance that they were ready to start selling ethanol uh, in their systems. So. You are, it sounds like you're a self-taught engineer or uh, inventor, <laughs> yeah? A uh, little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have no formal education in, in chemistry uh, or, or engineering or? No, just garage logic. Garage logic. Yeah. com. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. So, yeah. so from developing um, sporting goods uh, to uh, uh, inventing a process for the southeast of uh, the United States when ethanol yeah. came in. You were at the beginning of snowboarding, at the beginning of ethanol, <laughs> and uh, the next step is the beginning of building your own yeah. car company. Uh-huh, so <laughs> uh, that was a complete um, fluke that that happened, really, but uh, it, my hobby has always been cars, so um, you know, the garage is, was it's been my getaway. Since I was six years old, I would go in the garage and my dad at our farm would have Porsches stored in the barns and, and I would sneak in there, you know, and climb in these cars and pretend I was racing. And I just uh, have always been fascinated with that. So where did your dad, uh, I mean, that must've been 30 years ago. Yeah. Porsche was not that prominent in Minnesota. It, was he a collector or did he store no, them for there, people? There or? were people in the lakes area, you know, that have their cabins, like we, sure. we both know. And in Alexandria, um, the people would want to store their cars locally to the lake home and so he would have motorcycles you know oh, sport bikes and the porsches would end up being he rented there. storage he rented storage in the barn it wasn't yes. your dad's cars no no not my dad's oh. cars no so no. you snuck into those cars and were yes. a little kid you were racing <laughs> yes exactly it was a video game of 30 years ago uh-huh Interesting. Yes. Okay, so you were in touch with the, a brand, and you are fascinated by Porsche exactly. to this day. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I just you remember, you know, the nine fourteens. I always thought, well, which way does it go? It could, looks like <laughs> it could drive backwards or forwards, you know. Um, so yeah, in and then uh, in two thousand eleven, um, we still had the petroleum cleaning business, and I found an ad for a nineteen sixty seven Porsche nine twelve in South Dakota that was for sale. I called the seller and I was the first one to call on the car and it was like the classic little old lady answered the phone and um, through my discussion with her I found that her husband had passed away, uh, he had cancer and she had these barns full of old car parts, Porsche parts, uh, stuff I still have no idea what it was but um, she agreed to sell me what was there that I would be interested in. Uh, if I were to use it for my own use. And, and the neat thing was is that she had an English wheel, which is a very classical metal shaping tool that's used to form body panels, fenders, and things like that. And I had been exposed a little bit to metal shaping and to that type of, of craftsmanship while I was in the Southeast, seeing um, cars shown at Amelia Island and some of these big automotive events where the old coach-built cars uh, were shown. And coach-built means um, a coach builder is someone who basically would custom build a body to a customer's specifications or say Ferrari, you know, wanted- Back in a, the day. Yeah, handmade, aluminum bodied, and a very traditional way of, of fabricating a car body 
um, that actually goes back to the horse and buggy where royalty would have their own coach built buggy made on a on a, a horse drawn carriage basically okay um, so you saw that down there yeah and yes. you knew what that tool could do yes exactly yeah and so in my mind I thought oh, this would be awesome to learn this um, and it turned out I I bought as much as I could afford uh, in the tools and hammers and things like that 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 apply to this traditional technique brought it back to our farm where we stored the cars in the same barn I set up a little shop and um, then proceeded to find an old race chassis so I had a, a running gear to build my body on and went through this process of coach building my first car in 2011-2012. And but you you were just leaving so were you off a job or you in between jobs? So I would you go back and forth so okay, you um, just I would go like down to the the business in Florida for about two weeks at a time and then come back for about a week and every spare moment I had was in the barn figuring out how to use these tools. And <laughs> so it was a hobby? <laughs> it was a hobby yeah no intention of making it a business at all. Um, and a lot of trial and error and and just figuring out how metal moves and uh you know you start the process i guess i can explain a little more with building a, a buck and the buck is if you think of it in a skeletal form the buck is basically the skeleton like like the human body almost but it's the shape of the car oh it's this the, the bones, wooden like a an yeah it, mm -hmm. it's the wooden structure similar to how classic boats are are built you have that wooden framing underneath and then the the body gets wrapped around that and that body is made of aluminum in this case uh, on the car and then the wooden buck is removed from the chassis and and so it doesn't stay with the chassis inside the car's skin you build internal paneling that supports all of the body A frame system yes yep Yeah. And and you were you were just experimenting. You had a vision. You drew something. Yes. Yeah. So the funny thing is, I I've been drawing cars since I was a little kid. I I'm not very good at it, but I had all these sketches of cars that I dreamed. You know, when you're a kid, you draw futuristic Future cars, all these different things. And I drew um, rockets, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you drew cars, and you just yeah. went back to your fine memories and and your collection, and then you said, I now, you just took a a shape that you yeah drew when you were young. Yeah, exactly. Really? The, the shape that um, resembled a really, to me, it, it's a post-World War II era of German racing. And um, the the cars that specifically inspired my first one that I built were Glocklers. And they were built out of Frankfurt, Germany. Um, it was after the war. They were using aircraft parts and just kind of anything they could get their hands on to make these machines go as fast as they could. And that era of motor racing just fascinated me because they started with really nothing. You know, the country was in rubble and they didn't have electricity in a lot of these workshops. So it was really what can we make by hand and make it go fast. Uh, and that's kind of the mentality I went in with on my first build. Uh, and it fit my it fit where I was at because I had very little budget. You know, <laughs> I didn't have a lot to work with. So. I, I just pursued that era and tried to kind of translate it into my own design. Uh, Where did the engine come from and the, the axle and, and transmission and, so and the knowledge for that? I mean, like a lawnmower taking apart and it <laughs> sounds easier than putting a transmission to work and stability and drive. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I have a lot so of questions in my I head. <laughs> yeah, I, I first started to tear apart an old Volkswagen chassis to reverse it into a mid-engine layout because I wanted the car to be mid-engine. For weight and balance? For weight balance and um, the aesthetics of a mid-engine car um, versus a rear engine. The Volkswagen would have the engine hanging out the back. Right. It changes the aesthetics pretty dramatically. Um, when you can shove the engine up in front, it, it allows you to tuck the tail of the car in aesthetically very, oh, sure. very, very, I think a lot more pleasing to the eye. Um, so I wanted to do that. And I got to researching the original Glocklers more and more, and I knew they were mid-engine. I was trying to figure this out, and I realized that uh, the racing series uh, Formula V used basically the same technology and uh, specifications that Glocklers used on their later racing cars, so like 1955, 67, through that era. And uh, Formula V is a pretty popular entry-level racing series. 
Um, so that's the chassis that I tracked down and started building the buck on. And that Here solved, in the area? Uh, I went to Virginia. Virgi oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. so, okay. I found it in Virginia, and it was a competitive car that had raced up until the 90s. Um, and it was owned by a German guy who was brilliant, brilliant uh, engineer and racer. So it was really well sorted. Um, and that answered a lot of the mechanical questions that I had. It, they were there and the bones were all ready to go. I just had to modify the framework to fit my design. Okay. And that's where I applied myself to the modification of the chassis to accept the bodywork and then um, figuring out how to build that body on there. Once I got it completed, uh, which was a, a huge process in itself, I, you know, I was self-taught, so I started working my way through the car front to back. I went back to the front once I got the rear done and I cut the whole thing off and started over because uh, I just wasn't satisfied. I learned so much, I wasn't satisfied. And you with were better the, at the end than the beginning yeah. and then it didn't fit anywhere. Well, it looks like two <laughs> different people built the car, so I better <laughs> at least try to catch the front back up with the back. Um, so I did that and it got to the point, you know, doing this just for me, it, it, it was what I envisioned it to be. I was, I had to like kind of be okay with some of the flaws and fix the other ones you know that I wasn't happy with and you just find this point where it's like okay I just want to drive it and see what it feels like and then I realized the suspension needed a lot more tuning so I had to go back and do a lot of uh, fine tuning and the height adjustment and the softness of the dampeners and all kinds of things like that but all so you all, created a whole car like is it the, the, the thing can you lift it up so it's the chassis I think the Volkswagen you can take everything up yeah I have a pan. seat and a steering wheel You can drive that thing, right? Yeah. A Volkswagen. Yeah, yeah so they're very versatile in that way. And with the Formula V, it's actually not a pan. It's a steel ladder frame. Mm. Um, so my bodywork was fixed to that mm. almost, I don't know if I would say a full monocoque style, but it, it became one with the chassis once everything was fixed together. Mm. Uh, the rear shell from basically the behind the driver, the cockpit, back that whole rear shell was removable so you could access all the the vital components of the mechanicals you know the engine oil system uh, all that was right there so it was very easy to service and work on as well i was just going to say you make it sound all so easy but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well so it took you one no no it's not it's <laughs> not took one year or two years uh that took uh i was driving it actually in under a year i was driving it um, but to actually sort it and get it to where I, I could drive it for 50, 60 miles took about two years because I built the first one and then I, I had a different job and I kind of stepped away from the project for a little bit. I ended up going to a show with it and somebody saw it down in, in Shakopee and asked me to build him one. And that's when I thought, well, maybe I could it would take a lot of effort you know to do that and work in in this other business i was working on at that time uh but i ended up quitting the the place where i was working at and in 2012 in 2013 13 yeah so and six I, years ago yep and i started doing just went for it started building the and in 2013 i sold the other business as well the petroleum cleaning business so that allowed me to have a little cushion to start this idea of coach building cars And then you registered an LLC. You gave it a name. Th then the idea was born. Yes, six years yep, ago. It the the business in 2012. I registered it because I thought I would like to do this someday. But <laughs> it didn't really, you know, happen until I decided to go for it with that first commission. And your wife was game. I mean, like, wasn't it a risk? Oh, an entrepreneur is. It, <laughs> it took a little while. <laughs> yeah. So she, but she did approve, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and um, boy, it's been quite the journey, ups and downs. I mean. You never know. I, I, I had I didn't realize it was going to be considered a car company, you know. But you um, are a registered car company? Um, well, I am a coach builder, really. Okay. But um, I, I build the cars from the ground up, the chassis. and It's and not a kit car? No, no. Everything is bespoke to each commission. So each car is pre-sold. Um, and it's bespoke to the customer's demands from chassis design, wheelbase, Uh, braking styles uh, there's a lot that goes into it and it's a lot further than I ever thought I would go 
I basically have my hands on every nut and bolt that goes together where a lot of people are buying a brake kit I'll buy brake drums from 1958 and rebuild them and modify them and and give them performance upgrades to make them stay cooler under hard braking all kinds of things like that. How many cars have you built? Um, on number 13 now. Number 13? Yeah. And and where are they all located? Um, so California, Texas, Florida, New York, Vermont, um, there's one in Germany, uh, and Minnesota, uh, one's going to Chicago that I'm just about to finish now, another one's going to Boston. Oh wow. Yeah. So they're, th and a couple have been resold on really? the secondary market as well, yeah. There's so a market already for your cars? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Really? Uh, yeah. So just in the last year, two of the cars have changed hands where uh, like one customer will want to commission a new one. So he'll he'll contact me and ask me to find a new home for the existing car. And so Rangi Cars uh, has and had you had some media attention, right? You have been. Yeah, I'm not the first one to find you and interview <laughs> you. No, that's been surprising, too, because I've never really pursued uh, any type of exposure. But I think because of the nature of the story, it's it's you know fascinating i know I, w i would probably find it interesting <laughs> if somebody else had done it so the media has been how did fairly they find substantial. you how did that happen that you um the first person to ever interview me was in 2012 when i finished the car uh, a website called mega deluxe interviewed me and from there another website heard about it and then it's funny because a lot of the media came from germany in the first few years um octane magazine in germany and Spiegel, yeah, Spiegel, I told you, yeah, the news source, yeah, um, and then it went to England and France and Russia, and then now more in the U.S. Um, you know, with uh, Jay Leno's Garage and yeah, you have been on the uh, TV, yeah, show. the TV show, and he and drove one of your cars. Yes, he did. Yes, and that was he quite liked the experience. It? Yeah, he did. Yep, he he said uh, in driving the RS, that's one of the models I build. Uh, he said that was the car he could drive all day. <laughs> <laughs> so he enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun. How fast do they go? Uh, it depends on the gearing. Now, and I have two different styles of, of build that I do. One's a little more modern than the other. Uh, so the more modern will do about 150, 155 miles per hour. And the more oh, classic wow. style is 125 miles per hour. And they are safe? As safe as, you know, we can make them with the steel I mean you're um, not scared I like um, to drive them not no I wouldn't say so but this is a different kind of driving experience I mean keep in mind that the styling and the technology is 1950s and 60s mm -hmm. um, but although you know I now my newest builds I'm using a lot more disc brakes but in some of these builds the people commissioning them want period uh, components they want okay. the classic drum brakes and they want the old carbureted engines and so um, reliability and you know drum brakes stop a little slower than disc brakes uh, but that's expected it's a part of the package um, so I really I really make sure the customer knows exactly what they want and then we build the car as safe as we can around that and like the third commission uh, or I'm sorry, the second commission I did was a designated track car. So it had to meet safety inspections to be on the racetrack. And he's racing it? Yes. Yeah, really? he did up until last year. His eyesight is failing now. Oh. Um, so unfortunately, he's in his 80s. Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, but he's... So you have very passionate customers. Oh, yes. Yeah. And and they know what they're doing. I mean, they, they, they are also mechanically um, talented. Yes. At least. Yep. They're not yeah, just... For the most part, they are. Or... Uh, in the case that they may not be, um, we've been really fortunate that there are mechanics who are familiar with this type of, of build um, and the components that we use that they are excited to be able to work on the cars and keep them, you know, proper for the customers to enjoy. So, and now um, you have a guest uh, that is with you and now we, maybe we can touch because we have been arriving at the build. Yes. Uh, Kip, you are a Porsche restorer back in Australia, is that correct? Yeah, so I, I restore all kinds of cars, Porsches, Ferraris, anything old really, um, all classic cars, but um, 
yeah so that's back in australia and um yeah yeah and 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 now australia to to minnesota so you're fairly young how old are you uh 29 you're 29 years yep. old and uh, how long have you been building on cars uh, I think I started when I was 17. 17? Yeah, oh, the, the like week after I left school. I got <laughs> my first job working on cars. And and cars are also your passion. You always just wanted... Yeah. How did... I mean, we are all fairly young, obviously, but uh, um, historic cars, classical cars, uh, also my passion. I don't know if it's to my father, but why did it intrigue you to work on classical cars? Um, I'm not really sure where the classic car side came from like I was always like I started off when I left school I went and worked in like collision repair that was my first job um, but I was lucky enough that I was working in a workshop that was doing all modern Porsche um, modern Ferrari Bentley Rolls-Royce like all yeah doing all really high-end stuff and I was lucky enough to be taught how to do really high quality repair work and body work but I'd always had this underlying dream that it would turn into restoring classic cars. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of modern cars so much. Like, yeah, like I'm in the Porsche club in um, Australia, and like I've driven. I've driven everything. Like brand new Ferraris, brand new Lamborghinis, Porsches, anything. But they have changed the feeling of driving. I think like you can get in a new Porsche and do. 200 mile an hour or 120 mile that's, that's kilometers uh, yeah, yeah. 120 mile an hour and um, you don't realize that you're moving that quick like they, I know. Make, they make them so smooth to drive so quiet that it doesn't feel like you're moving that fast like a little beep on the dashboard says you're going 120 mile an hour and you just keep going and they, whereas I'd rather be in something that's 50 years old doing half the speed but you feel like you, work it a little <laughs> yeah, bit more, you yeah. feel like that thing's about to take off or mm -hmm. like yeah like it's it's scary like this so the connection to the road yeah or the connection yeah, to the drive yeah, yeah hearing an engine really working or the tires or the wind like just just the difference in wind noise in cars now like you you knew you were moving in an old car like yeah <laughs> like you don't have to go the same speed but you feel like you're going twice as fast as a modern car which is the appealing thing and um, I'm also not really big on the mechanical sides of things I've always just been into the way they look so much and um, so the design the body yeah body work and yeah just the different shapes and that sort of thing and, so yeah. what brought you to Minnesota like yeah how did you come yeah to so it's, it's an interesting Chris? story so um, I was lucky enough to uh, be awarded a scholarship it's called a Winston Churchill fellowship um, and that was awarded to me in 2016 and it's a kind of a um, scheme that was set up when uh, Winston Churchill passed away and they'd asked him before did you want like a university or something left in your name and he said no that's just for academics I, I kind of want something for everyday people striving to get that next step in whatever they're passionate about and um, yeah I think like the their, their motto is like everyday people striving for excellence so it's anyone in Australia is allowed to apply for the fellowship whether you're a coach builder or a doctor or a police officer or anything mm -hmm. or like a biologist learning about different like marine life or all mm -hmm. sorts of like all sorts of really incredible things and um yeah it's about kind of going overseas like when you've kind of exhausted everything in Australia that you can to learn, there's nowhere else, is to send people overseas, get more knowledge and then bring that back and advance Australia in that field. So so, so to go abroad and you you made a world trip yeah, and so, visited Yeah, so that, that scholarship, that fellowship took me to America, England, Italy and Germany, um, all in one three month trip and I'd, I'd never really travelled before so it was an incredible way to see like the whole world in one go like well a lot of the world in one go so that was really eye-opening and incredible and you worked work. with um, professionals yeah so I spent like a week um, in different workshops all around the world so I went to yeah Detroit Boston California I went and uh, worked at uh, Aston Martin has their own facility where they had where the original old DB5s, all the original hand-built cars were made in this stone factory. 
And um, cool. then they moved to the bigger plant where it's all modern sort of stuff, but they've kept the old building and that's where they've started a restoration facility. So all the old cars go back to the original building they were made in and they get a new lease on life and back out the same doors they started in. So that was incredible working there with Aston Martin. Um, yeah, I went to, uh, in Italy, I went to Ferrari, Lamborghini and um, checked all that sort of thing out and the little Italian coach builders in the back streets and that sort of thing, just working on multi-million dollar cars, just in these little cobblestone streets and that, like, it was just, yeah, really surreal. So. So yeah. Ferrari and Aston Martin took you, but in 2016, Chris did not take you. No, so I, I reached out to Chris. <laughs> like it was, I, I sent Chris an email um, just because I was fascinated by the story I'd seen like since his first car, and it was something that I'd I'd been doing bodywork since I was 16, and then you just hear about this guy over in America that's just decided he would out of thin air decide I'll design and build a car. And you just go, that seems like the maddest thing on earth, but he's done one and now what, he's 13. Like, <laughs> he's, he's it's like the American it. dream. Yeah, yes. like it's <laughs> super cool. And like it's, like, it's been incredible seeing, like, the difference from car one to car 13. Like, when um, I emailed him and it turned out that because of, like, the strict schedule that I was on, it just wasn't going to work. I was like, oh, I could only possibly fit in, like, three days here before I go to England and it was just it just wasn't one go, going to gonna work out on that trip so um I would I had planned to go to the Pebble Beach Concours which is in Monterey um, in California which is probably the biggest uh, classic car show in the world where they get judged on how perfect restored or um, maintained uh, these cars are and um, yeah so I was over in Monterey I was at that stage, I was sleeping in the back of a Nissan Versa rental car because um, I had I had like accommodation for the rest of the trip. But um, being like when the richest of the rich come and show off their cars, accommodation was just out of oh, control. through the roof. Yeah, so you every, everything was already booked out by the time I looked in. Like there was one Airbnb left, and it was for three days. It was eighteen thousand dollars. Oh. Like yeah, so it's the richest of the rich come out to play. So therefore, I'm sleeping in the back of a little Nissan Versa on the side of the road. Um, yeah, and I woke up one morning. Um, it was going to the Works reunion, which is a big Porsche show that's on. Yeah, yeah, Works reunion. Um, yeah, which is on that week. And um, yeah, so I was like, oh well, I'll drive out to where that is. I parked at like this abandoned gas station on the corner of this intersection, and I slept there. I woke up in the morning and there was like fog on the window kind of and I wiped that off and as that I wiped that off I just saw this like polished silver car just on the back of a trailer heading in and I instantly knew it's Rungi. <laughs> <laughs> He's here, like this is incredible. So I was like, man, I'm gonna get to meet him today, like this is gonna be a great day. So yeah, it was really cool to I think we spent all day there and then went yeah. to dinner with some other people. The the part of the story you didn't say is so I'm I'm at the show at the Works reunion, and from my side, um, I had to scavenge to get enough money to to get a car out there. I mean, this is like you said, the richest of the rich, and uh, I sold off a bunch of parts to uh, friends and customers to raise money to get my car out there. <laughs> and I didn't know Kip was going to be there. I don't think, um, mm -hmm. but he had contacted me and asked to come visit the shop. It didn't work out. So I'm there, I make it into the show, I have the car set up, and here comes this guy with slicked back black hair in a red tailored suit. I thought, who is this guy? And Super rich guy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, man, this kid's gonna buy a car. Well, it, it's this guy who's been sleeping in his car at the gas station, it's Kip. And uh, I thought, well, if this kid can sleep in his car, we just hit it off, you know? And I said, uh, you need somewhere to sleep? So he ended up staying at our Airbnb that a friend let me stay with who had booked it way before everything got expensive so <laughs> yeah it's just it's a great story a bunch yeah. of guys just trying to make it really <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so you connected through cars you, yeah. you met that was last year uh, 2017 17? yeah well yeah when i was on my trip yeah. and then you have always been in contact yeah yeah like pen, pen pals yeah, yeah. instagram it's instagramming been incredible easy way to connect with cool yeah. people all around the world yeah um, 
yeah, it's been a great platform for the industry. I think for I guess any industries absolutely probably enjoyed it. But and how long have you been in Minnesota now? I think it's one of your last days. Yeah, so I leave uh, on Tuesday. I'm heading out um, back to Australia. But so yeah, so that was all that trip, this the fellowship, and then um, I decided it was time to do another trip, and I um, I had an old 1971 Chevrolet Chevelle, um, and yeah, that that had to go. That was my only cool classic car. I'd, really owned and I saved up all my money when I was 21 and I bought that car, it was still left hand drive and it was pretty much like a drag car from America and it had been brought to Australia and I just registered it. I lived in the middle of the city where I am and I drive it around the city like just obnoxiously loud old muscle car and I looked super yellow. I was so tiny could hardly see over the like the window and the steering wheel and this like skinny little boy driving the biggest muscle car in town like it was yeah it was great but like yeah so then um i moved that on um and that was uh the money from that i then went and bought a power hammer which is kind of an american version concept on the english wheel which is what Chris got oh. for shaping the panels a yeah. tool you bought a yeah, tool yeah i bought a big piece of equipment that's designed in about like just after the 1900s, like 1915, and all the big uh, car companies and aircraft companies, everyone was using these to shape panels. Um, yeah, so I bought one of those, um, and that cost me a fair bit of money. <laughs> and um, what was left from the money from the Chevelle, uh, I decided to come and do this trip. And so I flew into Vancouver, Canada, the day after Christmas. Um, my friend from Australia had actually been backpacking Canada in an old 1970s Chevrolet van that had a bed, like a full double bed in the back, a gas stove, and um, yeah, so he flew back to Australia and left it like near the airport. For you? He, yeah, and he got the keys, <laughs> so I bought it off him. Um, he gave me the keys when we were in Australia, I flew over, landed in uh, Canada, went and picked up the car, drove it out, and uh, started my trip all the way down. San Francisco for New Year's Eve, and then, yeah, all the way down to LA, across to Phoenix, Arizona, Texas, New Orleans, Memphis, Nashville, and then I did a stop for a month in North Carolina. And um, I worked with um, Mike Cleaves and Hans and some other guys. They make the Power Hammer, They've, they're remanufacturing the original Power Hammer, um, but they also probably one of the best coach builders in the world. So. I spent so they build cars too yeah yeah that's that's primarily what they do and just one of the employees there and his night times and weekends trying to make some more money put the and his passion for the equipment he put it back in a manufacturer so that's his sort of side business um, and when you were there you you your shape like what are you learning yes yeah, like, so I was learning how to use that that power hammer because it'll probably be it'll be the first uh, pet and girl power hammer in Australia um, yeah, even though it's been around and since 1915. Is, is, is like uh, yeah, it's like power Yeah, it's like 12, 10, 12 feet tall, mm -hmm. three and a half tons, I'm guessing. You guys and you ton, shape, tons. you yeah. just have a piece of metal which is flat. Yeah, and it's kind and of And you just, bring a shape into it. Yeah, it's kind of like two solid, or the, the whole thing, like it's massive big piece of equipment, but the principle behind it is that it's just got two like solid steel blocks with nice faces and it just slams them together really hard, really fast, and it's as it squishes the metal it stretches it and creates like a doming sort of effect that's what gives you the shape to your panel um so it's so if you build the left side of the car you have to be very precise yeah about the right side of the <laughs> car exactly that's the, same. the trick that's <laughs> and chris yeah. would have learned that real quick it's 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 not too hard to get one side of a car <laughs> no. but making the other side of the car the same like match that's the trick <laughs> making very two difficult. exact symmetrical parts that's the trick but yeah. yeah. In in the US culture I think the power hammer if someone's trying to envision it, it blacksmiths it's kind of, I think some people may think of blacksmiths when they have that big hot iron <clears throat> right you know in the in the hammer yeah. it's kind of like that but it's very I think very more precise and for refined. yeah yeah cause, refined cuz you're just putting in uh 20 gauge 20 gauge yeah, yeah. Uh, metal like Five sheet metal 60 thousandths yeah. oh yeah around so there. like 1 mil Oh, one, one millimeter mil steel. One millimeter sheet. Yeah, so it's going to be... And you, sh you, you... Yeah, it, like yeah. a piece of paper, you just kind yeah, of... Yeah, you're putting it through and huh. the machine's creating like a little bit of stretch and dome every time and you got to, yeah, shape it. Put the shape where you want. 
But the shape, uh, similar to the English wheel, the shapes that we're making, like some people may envision just a boxed yeah. straight edge card. These are the rounded, right. very, yeah. very teardrop. Like a silver file, like the, like yeah. a, like a, like a round car, like a, yeah. 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 So it's easy for a piece of, imagine like a piece of paper, you can fold it in half and that's easy, but making a piece of paper go over a soccer ball you can't put that shape into it like it creases everywhere mm -hmm. so it's it's what it's what makes a piece of metal shape without the creases and yeah yeah but if like you it, took a pizza dough and you put it over the soccer ball what's going to happen with the pizza dough instead of creasing it will stretch and and shape to that soccer ball right mm -hmm. and that's what yeah. we're doing with the metal we're actually stretching it or shrinking it gathering it together yeah. in a uniform way so you don't see the creases. Yeah. So you're making compound rounded yeah. shapes. Yeah. So here in Alexandria you you what did you learn looking over the shoulder or did you assist with the uh, number 13? What what yeah, were your what, what uh, uh we're on one? so we're doing number 10. Oh, 10. Uh, number 9 yeah. and 10 both right now uh and he also assisted with number um 12 yeah yeah and, well, you and don't and go 13. in order <laughs> yeah, well we bounce all over the place okay. yeah <laughs> they start but in order but you've got to yeah you kind of yeah we're bouncing back and forth depending on which parts are arriving and things yeah. like that so we've been spending a lot of time on number 10 okay which is a really it's yeah. a super fun project and, yeah. and what did you do uh so what have we been doing on that one we made uh full inner skin for the roof lining and mm -hmm. Uh, just hammering and really refining some of our gaps and that sort of thing, getting really nice gaps around the hood opening, the door openings and that sort of thing and and trimming out the dash and around the inside of the cockpit and stuff. Come yeah. yeah, he's done an incredible job. He, uh, The whole front clip, the nose of the car, and this is a early 1960s based design of my own. Um, if you can envision that, it's, it's, some, it's very Porsche stylistically, but um, yeah. I had wheeled with the English wheel the front clip out and so these different methods of tools um, come from different geographical areas really around the world so it's kind of cool Kip's methods and what he's <sighs> specialized in are different than mine and so I've learned as much from him that yeah. as he's learned <laughs> yeah, from me exactly um, and with his uh, fit and finish that he was trained in on these newer cars He's, he's applied that to what I'm doing and really helped me fine-tune uh, a lot of those those areas, you know, the little details that I've wanted to make better, I didn't necessarily know how to make better. Hmm. Um, and then also, I think he's been able to try some of the tools in my shop that yeah. he hasn't had access to yeah, exactly. and learn those. Huh. Yeah, it's been good fun. I think probably one of the most fun parts about spending time with Chris has been, I've always just built cars that are a specific model like say it's a Porsche 356 or a Ferrari this order everyone knows exactly how there's a right way and a wrong way for that car to look the dashboard has to have exactly this switch here and the shape of that has to be exactly a certain way but when you're building a car from scratch it's completely open to your own decision so like just seeing the way like Chris is looking at the dashboard and that sort of thing when he's coming up and he goes actually it'd be pretty cool if we had like an air vent and a hump over here whereas mm -hmm. you don't have that artistic freedom yeah when like you that. restore a car you can't just be like oh here's this beautiful porsche 911 i'll just put like a big hump in the middle of the hood or a scoop on the side of the door like because everyone will go that's not how that's meant to be yeah, whereas yeah. if you design something yourself no one can tell you it's wrong like it's that's <laughs> it's the way like it's meant to be a white <laughs> canvas and yeah. you just adding paint yeah it's not like you tell da vinci oh you drew that wrong right <laughs> he drew it it's his it's his decisions like that's the fun part of so bespoke sort talking of building, i think yeah. talking yeah. about that like um, when do you decide that the car is complete i mean you have oh, a starting cool. point <laughs> you don't you, like how long does it take but like you could still be unsatisfied at the very end like even if you drew it and then you have the original do you sometimes change it yet? Yeah, there's deviations um, from the... So the original, the first design process kind of gives us... It establishes the aesthetic exterior look of the car. Um, and 
and it sets the tone for the period, but you know, the era. And then from there, I think my customers kind of expect, and, and we, we almost celebrate this, that we start throwing different ideas out through the process. And you know, some of them don't get accepted and some of them are like, yeah, that fits. So even coming and visiting you today, we were looking at all these old parts and stuff. And I can see that some of those old parts will really fit well with a specific build. And uh, th that's the, the fun of it. Now, you know, you kind of go through this process and you have, I, I have an absolute time frame. You know, it's, a, it's about 28 months right now for me to build a car that I have to do it in. 28 months. Yeah. That's yep. two and a half years. Yeah, two and a yeah, yeah two plus over years. two years, yeah. That's how long the customers are willing to like expecting to wait. Yeah. Yep. Oh, really? And yeah, so that's that's the average delivery time right now for a commission. Um but through that process, we can tie in a lot of creative freedom like Kip was saying and come up with ideas that fit and in the end you have you know, a very, very special, I think, special, unique car. And what I try to deliver my cu customers, and I think what they expect too, and, and want to be a part of is that experience. The first one I built, you know, that whole experience, and now it's been more refined and we're using, you know, more leathers and more, a little bit more expensive materials, you know, because we're able to do that. But they want to be a part of that. And I, there's, I don't know if there's anywhere else that you can, do it on this level sure in the world I guess maybe there are a few other people that could provide it but um, it's a lot of fun hmm. so have those people I mean now I visited your sh your shop your your shop last week and you're actually living and working on a lake yes so yeah. uh, lake life is part of your work it is yeah and you know I've had a lot of people say, you should move to LA, you'd have way more business, or Florida. But people expect, I think because of my story and my roots here tie so deeply into where I'm at now, they they expect to drive in that driveway through the woods and see the smoke coming out of the chimney. <laughs> you know, they expect that. And uh, they fall in love with it. And That's very romantic. Like when I drove <laughs> into that, I was like, yep, it's, you drive, I don't know, 200 meters through, trees yeah and then all of a sudden there's this shop uh-huh yeah it's it's you awesome. like the calmness like what does lake like does it is it you have to have that you could not imagine yeah, i think it's so important to surround yourself with inspiration and to me that i mean it would be so hard to be somewhere where i feel the hustle and bustle of a city or you know these things that detract from what i'm trying to do um it's very important for what I do to be surrounded by that, that kind of calm and quiet, you know, the big, big maple trees in the fall, uh, the colors, it all plays into what I do. When I roll the cars out after I polish them in the fall and the orange maple trees are, you know, uh, on this reflecting. freshly polished, yeah, uh, reflecting off the polished finish, it all, it all plays into it. And hmm. yeah, the shop right now is right on, on a lake in the Alexandria area and then I'll be putting up a new shop uh, that's on another lake so a uh, private lake yeah you mentioned well. 1100 yeah. front feet yeah uh, Lakeshore it's because uh, my customers want to experience that you know and and um, I realize it is part of my business model to have that where they can really feel what inspires me not just you know show up and get the keys to a car but they come and visit throughout the process yeah, um, every customer has picked it up and has seen where you created it? Um, not everyone. Uh, there have been a couple who who have not even been to my shop. But um, I'm finding more and more of the people, my newest commissions, want to come out and be a part of it. And so I'm really, the new shop is designed around that. Very, it's it's uh, very kind of Scandinavian and uh, like the Gmund, you know, where Porsche, their origins were. Mm -hmm. Uh, the old sawmill it's kind of that feeling mm -hmm. um yeah right right outside of alexandria hmm. so what did you feel kip uh, yeah being a minnesota did yeah so i'd driven all the way across america and that sort of thing and um i think 
one of the coolest parts about Minnesota. I'd never seen snow until the day I got to Minnesota. Oh, um, really? Yeah, like in Australia, where I'm at, the coldest we get in winter is 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Ah, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'd never seen snow before, and um, yeah, it was it was really cool coming through, like driving around the Alexandria area and this whole area. It's, Could you feel it? Yeah, it's, it's like you like yeah, and you can imagine that it's something quite important for these customers that come out and see the vehicles as well like I, all i can imagine is that they're generally working in big cities and has, like they're in new york and their briefcases and suits and like yeah they're these noise yeah and, and then all of a sudden like i think they would really enjoy the fact that when they come to visit chris and check in on the build they fly into the airport they go down like these beautiful areas, like through the, like the chain of lakes and like through all the trees and that sort of thing. They're seeing deer just walking around, like, <laughs> we, like looking out the window of the workshop yesterday. There was like a deer, like just walking like past the workshop, and you're just like, that's incredible. Like that's, you can't do that anywhere. Like it, yeah, and there was a deer running across the ice on the lake yesterday as well. Like just straight through the middle of the lake, like. I'd never seen anything yeah. like that before. I'd never seen deer before, like really before. So, yeah, it's incredible that whole package that comes along with this area. And I can only imagine in like when the snow's gone, like what the lakes will look like, what the trees are gonna look like. It's I'll definitely be back in summertime. You mentioned <laughs> or it fall. Be, yeah, summer, summer fall. Though, yeah, it's really it's, good. It, yeah, the, the change of colors. I yeah. I really enjoy every season. Yeah. I enjoy fall the most because of road trip time yeah. and mm -hmm. it's it's uh, October September October is just yeah really beautiful I do a lot of road trips myself yeah. and I'm uh, hoping that I'll be allowed to drive one of these cars one day here <laughs> test drive <laughs> yeah I mean, test, test, yeah, test drive exactly the official test driver yeah. for rungi cars yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. awesome yeah. well and um yeah, I think uh, you you said with Lake Live and 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 you, do you swim? Do you fish? Do you do you paddleboard, kayak? Like yes. you you spend time on the lake? Yes, absolutely. So uh, even while Kip was here, my son yeah. is a avid ice fisherman. He's 14 years old and he he is fully independent. Has his own setup. He brings <laughs> out. So he got got Kip on some fish. Fish. Uh, yeah, Kip got his first crappie. Cool. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. Out in the middle of the lake with a little hut and little heater and a hole in the ground and some fishing rods like this yeah that was really cool kip is officially called it's not ice fishing it's ice hole fishing ice hole fishing, ice hole fishing. <laughs> yeah. yeah so but yeah and then we do a lot of paddle boarding and uh our kids are involved in wake surfing camps in the alexandria area cool. uh clinics they're a weekly deal that they do where they have training and yeah uh they they just love it yeah yeah no i i agree i I fell in love with Minnesota myself, yeah, and yeah. Um, I'm glad to see like so the the soul of the cars uh, are I mean made in Minnesota, but um, maybe the calmness and that's maybe the 50s, yeah. 60s like everything was slower mm -hmm. yeah. uh, um, in a way, although they're yeah. fast cars, but yeah, maybe that's the soul the the what the customers are really taking yeah. home and you're bringing them from Minnesota, very, very yeah. fascinating. It's a, it's a perfect place. It's the most fitting place to be like hand building like craftsmanship building a car from scratch like it just it all just works together like that's what you expect yeah like, you, you don't expect like someone doing that style of work in like a big city like it's yeah it's, it's the shop in the, the yeah, woods yeah, yeah shop in the woods and then every now and again just this polished beautiful car just rolls out the door and down the road that's super cool yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's your uh, next commission going to? Is it going outside of the country? Um, the one we were working on is going to Chicago, okay. and then we have uh, New York, Boston, um, and Florida. Okay, are all on the on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, <laughs> with love from Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have 2024 is going to be your Minnesota. It's going to be my year. year. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I hope I can get one. And yeah. uh, if you say 28 months, I need to commit in <laughs> two years. So um, uh, I'm on it. Right. I want one. I want one. I got fascinated. I'm a car guy too. And yeah. then we got to make uh, Minnesota road trip stories with your yeah. polish. Yes, absolutely. And how do you polish them? They are aluminum 
Yes. And so then the just have a clear coat? No, no clear coat. We can do that if the customer wants, but um, it's just polished aluminum. So the metal is sanded smooth where there's different seams and welds. Uh, smooth it out to as perfect as you can get it and then use a few different methods of polishing uh, by, oh, by using really machines. Just polished. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't yeah. rust. It's, it's aluminum. Metal, yeah. 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 It looks like one shape, right? Yeah. The yeah. Seams? Um, most of the seams are all welded up, so it looks like one complete that, yeah. um, drop yeah. of liquid mercury almost. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Really cool. Well, yeah. I can't wait to have the driving experience yeah. and the yeah. sound. Yeah. And oh, uh, they sound great. They do sound good. Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Well, thank you very much for coming. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Capturing this story, and then we will speak again in the summer when yeah. Australia meets uh, yeah, the you'll Open. Have to come and have a go at beach life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sand life. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, this was already our uh, newest episode of the Lake Life Weekend podcast. We sure hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tune in again next week with another great guest and updates. Always check out our website, uh, lakelifeweekend.com. And if you have some comments, please feel free to email us at hello at lakelifeweekend.com. And uh, you have a wonderful weekend ahead. <laughs>